Hello, welcome back to Not Just Paleo. I'm your host, Evan Brand, and that, of course, was Vince Gill. Welcome to the show. Today, I have my friend, Dr. Justin Marcajani, back on the show. If you're new, he is a chiropractor who's done extensive extra training in functional medicine, and we chat together behind the scenes about case studies and what we're doing, what's working, what's not working, and then we come on the show and discuss those same type of topics. So today we're talking about candida, fungal infections, yeast overgrowth. This is something that's so common, literally eight out of every 10, especially females. I don't know if there's some hormonal component that's going on that's increasing this number, but for females, the number is literally nine out of 10 for every female that I test via organic acids testing, I find a candida overgrowth that needs to be addressed. With men, the number is about 7 or 8 out of 10. Now, obviously, I'm a little bit biased because I'm working with people who have symptoms and they're trying to get better, but we can assume people outside of this podcast that are eating a standard conventional diet probably have 10 out of 10, you know, because they're eating processed foods and sugars and they're taking a lot more antibiotics than you're probably taking. And so the rate of yeast infection and fungal overgrowth and other types of infections is probably even higher. Anyhow, let's get right into the show. As always, you know that I block out just a few hours per month at this point to allow people like you to schedule a 15-minute free call with myself so we can talk about your health symptoms, your health goals, and see if you're a good fit for care and see if functional medicine is right for you. Is there somebody that's wrong for functional medicine? I would say yes. Maybe someone that's not motivated. Maybe that, maybe someone that doesn't want to change their diet. I've spoke with several females lately who their husbands are not ready. They're not ready to give up the pizza and the cookies. And I understand it's tough when your brain is addicted to sugar. You give rats the choice between cocaine and sugar, the rats are going to go for sugar every single time. So I don't blame you. I know how hard it can be, but I promise there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and I hope this podcast can be that source of light. Enjoy the show. Oh, and I didn't give you the link, the link to my website where you can schedule that 15-minute free call and also get a free chapter of my best-selling book, Stress Solutions. You can do that back at the website, notjustpaleo.com, or type Evan Brand in Google. You'll find me that way too. Here we go. What's up, Evan Brand? It's Dr. J here. How you doing today? Hey, I'm great. I'm excited to talk with you about fungus and yeast, something that you and I see weekly, but it's been like very prevalent. So I figured this is something we should probably address. Yeah, fungus and yeast. It's something we see in the practice a lot. I know you see it a lot. I actually had chronic fungal issues myself, so I'll share some intimate stories about fungus in my life and how much of a, a difference it made in getting rid of it and overcoming it. Wow. What happened? Did you have uh, on toenails? Was it on your skin? How did it manifest? Yeah. I mean, with fungus issues, I had like, you know, the typical like jock itch, athlete's foot, you know, some like tinea rashes, like my whole life, like really, really bothering me. Like I remember like scratching my toes, like till they would like bleed because it would just be so itchy. I never understood what the heck it was. Now, obviously making diet changes, it, it really helped, right? Because pulling out the sugar, pulling out foods that are high in mycotoxins, which are basically fungal toxins. They made a huge, huge difference. And then also treating the actual fungus with specific herbs and getting rid of deeper infections really made a huge difference. They're just totally going away. Yeah. So when you see diets talking about 
anti-candida, mm-hmm. anti-fungal diets, that's a good start. But until you get to the treatment and you dig deeper, you probably won't resolve it 100%. Is that safe to say? Correct. And like, there's foods that need to be addressed, need to be eradicated or pulled out to really maximize it. So for me, like cutting peanut butter out was a big one that really helped. A lot of mycotoxins mm-hmm. in peanuts. Yeah, a lot of aflatoxin, which is a, a specific type of fungal toxin. And fungus is like kind of this big branch, this big umbrella. Under the fungal branch, we have things like candida or yeast, right? Candida. We have different kinds of candida. We have candida albicans, which is like the most common type of fungus. We have other kinds like crucii and rhodotorola and these different types of fungus that are under that umbrella. So the most common ones, the albicans, but again, I don't even go break it down to those subtypes. The question is, do you have this fungal overgrowth? And there's going to be some level of fungus there. The question is, is there an out-of-balance overgrowth? If there is, let's knock it down, number one. And number two, let's starve it out and not eat foods that have mycotoxins in it, number one. And also, number two, don't eat excessive sugar foods that are going to drive that fungal overgrowth. Yeah, so would that be if people are drinking coffee, supposedly... Some people say that the whole mycotoxin thing on coffee is overstated. Some people say that it's not BS. I don't know. I I personally don't drink coffee, so I think it's something to look into, but I don't know how much it'll move the needle for people. Yeah, I know Dave Asprey is a big guy on the mycotoxins, and a lot of his Bulletproof diet is based off of eating lower mycotoxin foods, which I think is great. I mean, I think cutting out peanuts. Another big one is balsamic vinegar is a big one that's really, really high in mycotoxins. Here's an article over at Science Direct. Let's see here. It's called Mycotoxins in Fruit and Their Process Products, and it's analysis, occurrence, and health implications. And they're looking at different foods and the mycotoxin levels in it. And um, balsamic vinegar is one of those things that popped up in this article. And again, so when you go out to eat, most people think, oh, I'm doing such a great job by you know, avoiding the crappy salad dressing they have that's loaded with omega-6 refined vegetable oils for having the olive oil and balsamic, but that's high in sugar and also high in some mycotoxins. Yeah, and I've also heard of, I don't know if it's on that article, but rice being a pretty common fungal exposure too. So I'm not sure if you're safer by getting organic rice or not. It's really hard to say. That's interesting. I'll have to do a control F here and see if that pops up in the column for mycotoxin. But balsamic vinegar uh, was one of those ones that commonly came up. Yeah. So you you talked about, I'm going to list off some other things here that people may notice in terms of like their fungal and yeast infection. So you talked about some of like the, the top layer, the skin issues, the jock itch, athlete's foot, um, ringworm is another fungal yep. infection. And then you got fungal nails, so people with the, you know, sometimes the yellow nails. I remember seeing the commercials as a kid of the angry little yellow nails on the TV commercial. Yep, exactly. And then I I haven't heard of this one. I didn't know this was the actual name for it, but intertrigo, yeast infection in the skin folds. So it's talking about how people with a lot of skin folds, the yeast can grow in between the warm, moist areas where your skin is all folded. and Yeah, typically you'll see that with the gut, people that have overhanging guts in the abdomen area. Yeah, that's referred to as impetigo. Yes, that's very common. Yeah, and then thrush. 
And that's basically it. That's the roundup. So there's a lot of different ways it can manifest. Many people think, you know, when we talk to them, I've heard many women say, well, I don't have a yeast infection right now. And they think that it's only limited to the vagina, but it's not. You could basically have this yeast anywhere, internally, externally, and it will show up on the organics with the arabinose marker and then the tartaric acid. And then you and I will also see it on other markers too. I mean, there's like probably half a dozen or more markers that show up on the organics with yeast. And that's how you know it's really bad when everything's flagged. Absolutely. Let's break it down. So we have this yeast or fungal overgrowth. Also, um, we have various toxins produced by these critters. So aflatoxins, one, that we see that in peanuts. Also, another thing here on aflatoxins, it's also found in foods at specific temperatures, typically between 13 and 40 degrees Celsius, typically 30. And one of the big ones they mentioned was sometimes almonds, pistachios, Brazil nuts, uh, maize, rice, figs, cottonseed, and spices. So you can see spices are a big one. If you look at Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Diet, certain spices such as like pepper and such, uh, yep. was one. And also people that leave their spices like above the stove where a lot of heat's coming, right? That can really drive some of that mold. So making sure, like if I do like almonds, I try to make sure they're either soaked or like roasted a little bit. And, you know, I, I don't do them a ton. I just try to really cut out a lot of the foods that are higher in these mycotoxins and aflatoxins. And a good paleo diet's going to be helpful in that. So the foods are a big driving factor. And then how fungus manifests, you mentioned in the skin, it could be tinea, tinea versicolor is a big one. It could be the impetigo or other types of rashes. And then also in your nails and in your vaginal area in your in your growing area or on your toes so those are really big common areas that we uh, look at and again we can address it three ways one we stop feeding it two we stop putting it the toxins of it in our body through food uh, number three we kill it topically number four we kill it internally yeah and then number five we add back in quality probiotics and also maybe even competitive yeast like saccharomyces boulardii to help compete for those um, internal niches that these fungus live in. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, and something that's pretty common too is we'll see a yeast problem with a parasite problem. Like a lot of times if there's candida, there's not always, but a lot of times there may be something like blasto show up too, so these things are together. So we kind of kill two birds with one stone when we get to the protocol portion of this, but maybe we should talk about like what people would be feeling if they have a yeast problem. I would say like the general most common symptom that people are going to have is just fatigue. I was pretty shocked the other day. I had a lady that I would have almost swore and, and placed a large amount of money betting that her adrenals were going to be low, but they showed back almost perfectly great on a salivary panel even. But she had an insane level of candida overgrowth on the organics and then a bunch of mitochondria issues too. So fatigue would be a big one for yeast and then brain fog. I would say those are number two. What about you in terms of symptoms? Like what other categories people may have issues with? Yeah, so yeast can also increase things known as oxalates, which can essentially poison the mitochondria or make the mitochondria malfunction. So a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I'm like super tired. Their adrenals may look good, but when it comes to energy, oxalates can really poison the mitochondria, make the mitochondria function less optimally. So when we look at energy, we kind of have this triangle of energy. We have the adrenals on one side, thyroid on the other, and the mitochondria on the other. So my analogy that I've created over the years to explain these complicated concepts to patients in a real easy, succinct manner is imagine you're driving your car. <clears throat> 
the car in neutral is your thyroid. Typically, your average car rests at about 700 to 1,000 RPMs in neutral. That's like your thyroid. Hypothyroid is low RPMs. Hyper is high RPMs. That's in neutral. Now, we all know if you drive a standard and your car is in low RPMs, right, what happens to the car? Yeah, it bogs down. It can stall out though, right? Yeah. But if it's relatively higher in RPMs, like you'll see it high in RPMs like when it's super cold out, right, because the engine's trying to get warmer. It goes up maybe to 13 or 1,400 RPMs. That's like hyperthyroid. But imagine that happening on a regular day where it's not cold out. Yeah. So that's kind of like your hypo, hypo, hyper, hypothyroid. And then your body or the car shifting gears from first to second, second to third, third to fourth, that's like adrenal. Those are your adrenals. Healthy adrenals can shift to second to third and, and third to fourth and also downshift from fourth to third, second to third, uh, second to first. That's analogous to your body being able to adapt to stress, upregulate to deal with stress, and downregulate to relax and go into parasympathetics. When you have adrenal dysfunction, it's like your gears get stuck either in the high gear and you can't downshift, so you're wound up all day, or you're stuck in the low gear and you can't adapt and get your energy ramped up. Yep. So we have the stuck in neutral is the thyroid, the inability to upshift or downshift is the adrenals, and then the mitochondria is nothing more than the fuel in the tank, right? The fuel in the tank, whether it's the oil in the engine, the lubricant on the spark plugs, and the gasoline in the tank, all the fluids in the car that make it work and function. So you have to have that, otherwise it doesn't matter what the adrenals are doing. Yeah, so connecting that back to fungus, I know I go on these little tangents here, bringing it back home, what's the take home? Well, with fungus, you can produce these things, the oxalates that can really affect the mitochondria, and some of the O tests or the organic acid tests will look at the oxalates, which is a good marker of candida. We'll look at the diarabinose, which are... Um, metabolites, right? They're indirect markers of the byproduct or the exhaust of these funguses. And then we'll also look at stool testing to look at is there, is there fungus in the actual stool, whether it's via culture or whether it's via DNA, polymerase chain reaction DNA, or we'll look at it clinically. Do we have a tinea rash? Is there a slight coating on the tongue? Does the woman have a history of yeast infection? Does the guy have jock itch or is there an athlete's foot history? So we'll look at all of those things. If we don't see candida, on a lab test, but they have clinical indicators. What do you think trumps Evan? It's got to be the symptoms. I mean, we can't clinical. treat in a vacuum. We can't treat in a vacuum. And some of the other markers too, like you talked about the arabinose, I mentioned the tartaric acid, some of these furan markers, like the oxoglutaric markers, another one that'll be real high. So like on the first category of the organics with Great Plains, at least, it's a little bit different for Genova. I've seen people where their entire numbers one through nine is off the chart. So there's yeast, there's fungus, it's all together, and then there's bacterial issues. So it's it's pretty common to have multiple things here. I was 100%. just gonna I was gonna list off some other some other symptoms. Um uh, Dr. Mark Hyman, he had an article about hidden fungus infections making people ill. So he listed off some other symptoms and it was things like depression and chemical sensitivities, low immune system function. And Maybe we talk about like what contributed to some of this. You talked about the diet, but also many people have gone through rounds of antibiotics. Bingo. That's where I was going to go next. Yeah. So, And then what about, what about steroids too? How does this affect? Because this is something you'll see in research that uh, steroid hormone usage could contribute to that. But I'm not – I don't know the mechanism, how, how that actually happens. A twofold mechanism when it comes to steroids. Number one, steroids increase blood sugar because when you – take a synthetic steroid like prednisone, which is typically 10 times the strength of like 
uh, of a um, corticosteroid like cortisone or a corticosteroid cream or even like uh, Cortef, right? That's like your natural cortisol. This is like synthetic at a much higher level. And one of the big risk factors that we see with like prednisone over time is diabetes. We also see adrenal failure because it stops the internal production because it's so high. It's like the equivalent of um, being on steroids and a man having his, um, his testicle shrink. Right. Oh, so man. it's the, the equivalent of that. So number one, adrenal shutdown. <clears throat> number two, that affects the immune system. Number three, it's incredibly catabolic on the tissue, right? Osteoporosis is the big risk factor with long-term prednisone. Uh, number four, it ups blood sugar. Go Google prednisone and diabetes, right? When you have corticosteroids that are glucocorticosteroids, the first part of that word is gluco, pertaining to blood glucose. And when you take it at a very pharmaceutical level, that is prednisone, you're going to up your blood sugar. That's amazing. So people are going on these steroids for whatever infection or whatever issue they had, and then they get diabetes, and then they go on all these other meds. That's insane to it's see the cascade again. Because then yeah. what happens is I had a patient just yesterday put on prednisone, 50 milligrams, doctor pulled her off, and then boom, she felt like crap for six months because her adrenals were just turned off. So they basically just downregulate, and the body thinks it's stupid. Oh, I don't need to make hormones. There they are. Is that... Is that how it happens? Yeah, it's like the guy on D-ball coming off and doesn't cycle down, and his testicles are the size of raisins, and they can't you know they can't rise to the occasion with the LH from the brain saying make some testosterone. They're just too small. Oh my gosh, so that's amazing. So basically, limit antibiotics, limit steroids and hormones unless they're absolutely necessary. Yeah, I mean, if you needed like a steroid for like something very very specific. Um, ideally get to the root cause, support the adrenals first. And if it's absolutely necessary, um, the more specific you can get, keep it at the natural cortisol level because that's at least more natural. And then if it's like on a skin area, like do it topically right there. Don't take it systemically, right? So right. try to always address those things. And bigger is get to the root cause of why your body can't regulate the inflammation in the first place. So getting back to because everything's so connected so when we talk about one thing it's like hitting a spider's web it, the whole thing shakes yeah. so it's so easy for us to get into other parts of the web but how those corticosteroid and those meds affect fungus it suppresses the immune system number one which then affects iga which is important for kind of keeping those things in order right and then number two it also drives blood sugar upward which then could feed more of these critters wow makes sense so you talked about repopulating the gut coming in with the probiotics we talked about the diet that doesn't feed the yeast and then we talked about watching out for antibiotic steroids and then you talked about treatment a little bit using antifungal herbs if necessary and then the last piece i would say is the environmental molds and fungus that people are exposed to where which believe it or not my wife and i we got some tempurpedic pillows and we had them and we loved them and I guess we slobbered all over them or something. But we flipped over the pillows and on the bottom side of the pillows was a ton of mold that had grown. So needless to say, we trashed them. So who knows if we were waking up a little bit congested due to, due to that mold and getting exposed to it there. So whether it's in the walls or in your pillow, I mean it's something to consider, your, your household exposure. Exactly. So good air filters, you know, opening up the windows if you can. They've done studies, more fungus inside than outside, so keeping the airs open. Uh, using a good quality air filter. I have one on my website I use by Advanced Air. Very good. And then 
one other, couple other things is the antibiotic use drives it because you get this rebound overgrowth, right? You create a vacuum when you knock out all the, the crud in your gut with antibiotics that are indiscriminate. Fungus tends to grow naturally, right? Weeds always tend to grow naturally, number one. And then number two, uh, women on birth control pills. That's going to alkalize the urinary tract and increase chance of yeast infections. And yes, I said alkalize. A lot of people don't realize that birth control pills are alkalizing to the urine tract, and that's actually not a good thing. Right? You want when it you, to be slightly acidic, you're saying. Yeah, I mean, look at, let's say, a beneficial probiotic called acidophilus. You know what acidophilus means? I don't. It means acid-loving. Wait ah. a minute. I thought acid's bad. How does that work? That's funny. Right? And then, wait a minute. People have all these stories and anecdotes of apple cider vinegar being really good for you, right? What's right. That? That's acetic acid, right? Yep. Right? And then, oh, wait, what about vitamin C? Isn't that really good for you? What's that? Oh, that's ascorbic acid. Right. Right? Yeah. Or, yeah. You and I are not, well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I, I can't remember what your thoughts, but my thoughts, like people drinking tons and tons of extremely alkaline water with these expensive, terrible. like, I'm not even going to mention the name of the company because I don't want to people to go buy it but <clears throat> yeah so the water systems that people are buying they're drinking like 9.5 alkaline water that's not good that can't be good for the gut that can't be helping people that already have low stomach acid levels that cannot be helping that and potentially making them worse with this whole issue here especially if they're drinking with food i mean i'm okay with pinching a little bit of alkalizing minerals in there maybe a little bit of magnesium or some potassium salt and using it with some natural sea salt or some electrolytes but remember Acidity, especially in the stomach, is very important for digestion. And if you put things that are overly alkalizing in the body, especially when you're trying to digest it, where's the first place it hits once it goes down your throat? Right, yeah. It's going to hit the alkaline stomach there. Yeah, exactly, which is not going to good. That's going to decrease your proteolytic enzymes, and that's going to affect digestion. So I would say you're 100% right, like a bulletproof kind of diet, which is you know good meats, good vegetables, not too much sugar. There's some evidence that fungus can feed on ketones. Um, Chris Kresser has talked about this, but in my opinion, with the standard American diet and insulin resistance, the real threat is too much sugar, not too much fat and ketones. Agreed. Totally agreed. I mean, that, you may be able to find a scientific article on that, but clinically, what are we seeing? Yeah, it's this, not that. We're not seeing that. And that may be an issue for some people. I'm not saying it's not, but I'd say 80 to 90% it's the other way around. Yeah. And so when I deal with fungal issues, we kind of use like a, you know, a, a bulletproof Doug Kaufman antifungal fungal link diet where kind of paleo-esque, cutting out the higher mycotoxin foods like the nuts, maybe the mushrooms, and um, even the dairy, maybe some butter if you can handle it, and one to two servings of lower sugar fruit a day. A lot of people go too low sugar, and that actually creates these fungus to go into these cyst or spore-like states where they kind of hibernate, and then they don't they kind of live, so to speak, and then they come back out later on. So a little bit of uh, sugar in there, natural sugar, can be helpful to kind of keep them baited to the surface. Yeah. Let's spend – I know we only got just a couple minutes. Let's spend the last few minutes t t telling people about a couple of the remedies. Now – you and I both have come across people who say, oh, well, I listened to your podcast and then I started trying to do blank and then I hit a wall and then I came to you guys. Please, if we talk about supplemental options for treatment, don't just go willy-nilly with it on your own because there has to be a protocol in place. There has to be a specific duration, dosage, timing. Like we're very precise about this stuff. So, you know, I'm not saying don't be cheap, but 
invest in yourself if you think you have this issue because if you just go and take some of the stuff we'll talk about, you could potentially just aggravate these issues and not get yourself better. So if we're talking like oregano, garlic, berberine, I know there's a bunch of other herbs that you use too that can be really helpful, but it's got to be in a protocol. It's not just one or two little things. Let me just throw it and, and, and try it and see what happens. Yeah, so overall, if we line up our testing, we have like candida antibodies, IgG, IgA, IgM. We have the organic acid testings with the, the trichobolic acid, the oxalates, and the diarabinitol. We have the fungus in the stool, DNA, and culture. Those are the big ones off the bat. And then from the diet standpoint, kind of a lower-carb, paleo-esque, bulletproof, antifungal kind of diet. It's a great starting point. And um, looking at the treatment side, number one, the fungus may be there from a parasitic infection. I'll say it one more time. If you're going after fungus and you're not getting resolution, I consider fungus to be a downstream infection from a parasitic infection or H. pylori. So if you have a deeper yeah. infection and it's not resolving with the typical herbs Evan just recommended, I'll list them off one more time. Berberines, cloves, oil of oregano, podiarco, undecanoic acid, silver. If you're using a lot of those things and they're not going away, you got to look deeper at underlying infections that may be present. And this is where working with someone that kind of lines up and looks at the thyroid and the adrenals first, make sure the diet's in place, looks at the deeper infections, and then goes downstream to the fungus, that tends to be the best way to fix the problem in general. Well said. And I'm textbook example i had candida show up with the elevated arabinose on the organic acid and then i had the parasites so bingo there we go and if i wouldn't have done the stool panel with the organics at the same time i would have thought oh i just have a candida problem maybe the treatment protocol would have been a little less intensive and then i would have never got better from parasites so yeah and the last piece is okay you got fungus on the skin you got this tinea versicolor or this fungal rash how do we do that? Well, number one, we don't feed it. Number two, we treat internally. But number three, we also got to treat externally. And that may be using some topical oil of oregano or melaleuca or tea tree oil. Okay, that could be done on the toenail. In my clinic, we use an herbal foot fungus soak where we soak uh, the feet five minutes a night in this um, antimicrobial uh, soup mixed with apple cider vinegar, and that's helpful. And then we'll also topically treat the skin with different soaps. Um, one of my two of my favorite brands are Purely Northwest and Art Naturals. There's some really good soaps that are excellent. You rub it on the area, let it sit for one to two minutes in the shower, go brush your teeth while you're waiting, and then go and rinse it off. Very, very helpful for the topical treatment. And again, some of the pharmaceuticals like ketoconazole or fluconazole, they're good, but they're also very stressful on the liver. So if you're doing it, make sure you're supporting your liver because they really, you know, the Lamisole, they put a lot of stress on the liver. Wow. Well said. Boom. You killed it. <laughs> well, I think we really added some good info in there today. Fungus is a huge issue. I know I see it in my female patients with chronic yeast infections. We see it in people with the chronic fungal infections on the toes, especially. And remember, Dr. Mark Hyman said it many times before, what are some of the other symptoms connected to fungal overgrowth? IBS, brain fog, fatigues, joint pain, and even can drive some autoimmune conditions such as multiple sclerosis and even um, chronic fatigue as well. Yep. And it can even drive all of the gut conditions, all of the gut conditions, IBD, IBS. It can be a really driving factor behind, behind all that. 
Absolutely. Oh, and also Hashimoto's. Fungus is known to improve or in- increase um, antibody or thyroid destruction. So all these things are really a big factor. Wow. Anything you want to add there, Evan? I think that's it. You know, if you suspect it, like we always mention, but we can never say enough, get tested, roll things in, roll things out, and go from there. Check out Justin's site, Justin Health, a new design coming your way. It's going to be fresh and clean, easier to access the health information that we provide, and you can check out my site too, Not Just Paleo. NotJustPaleo.com. And if you guys want to thank us right now because we're dropping awesome knowledge bombs we're giving you some antifungal brain candy right now. And if you want to thank us, head over to iTunes or click just below the link if you're listening on the podcast audio or the YouTube. Click below, click the review button, and we would love an awesome, authentic review. And share it with one of your friends or family so we can help them too. Absolutely. Evan, it's been great, man. You have an awesome day. Take care. Bye. Bye. As always, I hope you enjoyed that show. Like Justin and I mentioned To schedule a 15-minute free call with myself, you can visit my website, notjustpaleo.com. And if you haven't already, get a free chapter of my book, Stress Solutions. I think you'll enjoy it. The first chapter is about the sources of stress. You know, all these health experts say, oh, reduce stress, reduce stress. But it's like, yeah, what does that mean? So I'll help you. I'll identify some of the top causes, the top sources. And, And then you're probably thinking, well, I already know my source. It's my you know, crying kid or my husband or my job or whatever. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about the big general categories and how that affects your hormones and your nervous system and all of that. Stay tuned in the next few weeks to one month. You're going to hear an episode that is going to blow your mind. And if you have not already purchased Stress Solutions, you're going to be running and begging to buy it. Because when you hear about how stress affects the nervous system and how nervous system health is important for cardiac health, heart health, when we have Dr. Thomas Cowan, medical doctor who wrote a new book about heart health on the show, your, your jaw is literally going to hit the floor like it did mine when I just recorded this interview. So stay tuned for that. That's coming up soon. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes on your computer or your phone if you have not already and chat with me. If you got problems, symptoms going on, let's see if we can fix you. Visit my website, notjustpaleo.com. Talk soon. Bye-bye.